Welcome back to the Boots on the Ground pod alongside Ben Conroy. I am Essex Thayer and Ben, Tuesday night, one of the roughest losses that I can remember, at least since I've been following Wake Forest basketball. You look back, maybe Boston College in, in, in Brooklyn in the ACC tournament. But other than that, I think I look back at this as one of the, the toughest losses. Wake Forest leading by as much as 11 uh, in, in the second half. They led by 12, but by 11 with under 10 minutes left on the clock. Allow NC State to come all the way back into the game. The game ends with a whole a lot of other things going on that we'll certainly discuss. But in short, Wake Forest had a, a game against a, a big four opponent away from home under control until it wasn't under control and they lost at NC State. Yeah, I mean, no real, no way other to describe this game really than just a golden opportunity squandered to pick up a meaningful road win in the conference, an area where Wake Forest has struggled, you know, over the past season or so. Um, you know, you had control of the game at halftime, pretty much up 10 points. And then in the second half, Steve Forbes talked about it. He just said that's one of the worst halves I've seen from this team in, you know, the past three years. Wake goes pretty much ice cold from the field, 10 of 30 shooting in the second half just two of eight from the three-point line. And NC State gets the win without making a single three-pointer, which if I wouldn't have even thought that was possible before that game started. But Wake really just, as Steve Forbes put it, played right into NC State's hands. Like you said, some really strange goings-on in terms of technical fouls near the end of that game, which we'll, we'll dive into a little bit more. But it's also a shame because Andrew Carr played maybe his best game as a Wake Forest Demon Deacon, 10 of 13 from the field, three of four from deep, 28 points, made big shot after big shot in the second half. He made an and one when they were down four late to cut it to three. He put them up four a little bit before that with a big three from the corner. So a shame to see that effort, you know, not result in a win and just a missed opportunity for this Wake Forest team to pick up some momentum and gain what I think would have been, you know, uh, could have been a season defining road win. Absolutely. I first, I, I completely agree with. I thought Andrew Carr was exceptional. Uh, I mean, I don't know where Wake Forest would have been in that game if they didn't have Andrew. Especially, I think he started seven to seven from the field, just shooting the ball really, really well. And he needed that performance. I think Andrew had, had, had kind of been struggling for the past few games. He performed a lot better against Virginia, and I wrote that, but. The performance he had, I mean, a career high, but in, in points. But to have that performance on Tuesday night, I think, was an indication that he can still do that. Like, there's so much talent on the Wake Forest roster that sometimes Andrew Carr can get hidden in the shadows a little bit. But for him to emerge like that for 28 points shows that he's still he's still got got it in him. And so, again, you're right, a squandered opportunity for coming off of a, a fantastic performance by Andrew and lots to talk about in terms of this game, Ben, the first one that I want to discuss is something that I feel like I mention in almost every preview I write now for games when it comes to wake forest, it's the turnovers. So when wake forest lost at Florida state a few weeks ago, it was 20 when the Deeks beat Virginia at home, it was 17. And then on Tuesday night, 16 against NC State. So it started off as, you know, a sign that there may be some ball security issues. 
Now it's becoming a trend that Wake Forest cannot handle the ball correctly. Uh, and it's not like, I wouldn't call it necessarily poor decision-making. Like I, it, I'm not trying to sound the alarm bells on the turnovers, but in some ways it's just mind boggling how some of these occur. It's, I mean, there's some offensive fouls. There's some over dribbling, which is something that Steve Forbes mentioned last night, trying to do too much with the ball. And primarily Efton Reed had four turnovers last night, but it's for the most part in this stretch been, been coming from the guards and it's, and it's different ones each night. It feels like, like sometimes it's Hunter Salas. Uh, it was, it was Hunter Salas. I think, at Florida state was kind of the main culprit for, for turnovers. Sometimes Cam Hildreth can get into a zone where he does a little bit too much. Um, neither of them was really the big problem against NC state. Salas had one cam had two, but Boopy Miller had six. And, and that's, <laughs> that's a, that's a pretty big issue when over a third of your turnovers and 16 at that are coming from a singular player. It's just a sign that it was just a little bit, trying to do a little bit too much, I think from Boopy and it's just, it's a constant seems like problem right now for Wake Forest. And if they want to do what they want to do down the stretch, this trend of turnovers, I feel like is at a certain point, the Bucks got to stop. Yeah. I mean, it, it has to be really frustrating for Steve Forbes and his coaching staff and this group of players, because it's like the, their problems are not rocket science. Like this is a problem that plagues a lot of good basketball teams. It's not like they're not talented enough. It's not like they don't have the scoring. It's not like they don't have the height or even the rebounding anymore. It's just one of the fundamental, you know, keys to being a successful basketball team, no matter what level you're at. And that's taking care of the ball. And for Boopy Miller, I think some turnovers are inevitable. He has essentially the highest usage rate on the team. Whole offense runs through him. He always has the ball in his hands. It just, happened to not be his night. He didn't have a great shooting night, just three of 12 from the field. I will say an outstanding 15 of 15 from the foul line. That was remarkable. So he still found a way to have an impact on the game. But, you know, something that jumped out to me about this game was that Wake's starting lineup combined for each of their 16 turnovers. So no bench player committed a turnover, and there were only two points scored off the bench in the entire game. So, you know, Wake has not been a team all year that gets a lot of scoring from their bench. They average under 10 bench points per game. Their starting lineup is responsible for most of the production. And, you know, it just so happens that in a couple big spots, the, the turnover bug has bitten them. And in the second half, they got really out of sorts, I thought, on the offensive end. They stopped doing what they do well for a lot of the time. Um, you know, just not having that sort of harmony and that motion and sort of that fluidity that you're used to seeing from the Wake Forest offense. And I think you saw it out there. I mean, it was obviously a road game, but North Carolina State was able to pick up momentum you know, quickly get the crowd into it, especially late in the game. You know, the one of the the most harmful parts of our hurtful parts rather about this game for Wake Forest is that they led for almost the entire time. Until I think it was about four minutes to go in the game, they gave up the lead. But until then, they, this was a Wake Forest game to control and to win. And even more so than the Florida State game, this is one where it just like if if you're gonna be a tournament team, you gotta find a way to, you know, there's obviously plenty of season left. And a lot of big road games and big home games coming up, you know, a lot of more chances, but you've got to find a way to close out those important games on the road that you have a chance to win and, you know, build some steam. And Steve Forbes said it, you know, there was a chance for this team to grow up and they unfortunately for, you know, a number of reasons didn't take it. To your point, 
Wake Forest led for 35 minutes and 53 seconds, only trailed for two minutes and 16 seconds. So you're right. Wake Forest had that game under control for pretty much a full 40 until they didn't. Uh, a, a few more things. So the kind of the common threads of, of problems. Another, I think, is the fouling. Uh, some of that, and I really do, I, I want to talk about the refereeing a little bit later because I thought it was equally poor for both sides. I thought it was a really poor performance uh, from that crew in Raleigh on Tuesday. But Efton Reed getting into foul trouble, he had four with 10 minutes left in the second half. Hunter Salas had to sit for the majority of the first half on three fouls and then fouls started to pick up at the end of the game. I think that's a big problem. And I also want to touch on a few things that, that Connor O'Neill over at Deacons illustrated talked about not only in his game story, but also on, on social media on Tuesday night and also on, on Wednesday. The first is Steve Forbes put the, puts this emphasis on kills. And so Wake Forest played pretty staunch defense for a time. They, they had a lot of kills going, with the kills being three stops in a row, for those who don't know. So they had the, the kills going, and then just didn't. It, like, at the end of the end of the game scenario, it was possession after possession. Florida State was scoring. Or, sorry, NC State was scoring. They were just unstoppable. And so it felt like every possession – the, the Wolfpack were able to get exactly what they wanted on offense, which was those mid-range shots. You said they didn't make a three-pointer. So they were getting those mid-range shots and and getting buckets either from, from those shots or from the line. Something, it was like 20 of the last 21 possessions of the game for NC State, the, the Wolfpack scored. And, and so that's that's a really problematic stat for Wake Forest. And I think it's also an issue with the the offense. The offense kind of died in the second half, and Steve Forbes talked about it after the game. He noted that they weren't moving the ball the way that he wanted them to. I'm going to pull up the, the quote that he said after the game. He said, you know, in the first half, the ball was zinging and moving, and they got wide open shots off of it, but they over-dribbled. They didn't play for each other. We couldn't score the ball, and then we didn't get stops. So, and he said that the those two things, the the offensive performance dipping, turned into the the issues on the defensive end because when you're not getting points on offense, and you're not getting good shots and you're not getting good possessions, then it translates over to the defensive end. So those two things, I think, are are, are serious problems for Wake Forest. Yeah, I mean, like you said, I I've never really heard Steve Forbes talk about you know a half of basketball quite like he described that one. You know, said team played selfish, like you said, didn't play for each other. Those are not typically words that Steve Forbes has used to describe his teams, and particularly this year's team. But yeah, like you said, you just saw it. I mean, they just Wake Forest lost steam. It seemed like just very quickly. You know, they like you said a little too much ISO ball, which was you know the cause of some of those turnovers on the defensive end, North Carolina state just ate at the foul line late in the game was able to get inside and just draw fouls, foul after foul after foul. And it's really frustrating. It takes a lot out of your steam, a lot of steam out of your defense when that's going on. And then just, you know, I think the, the factor of being on the road and North Carolina state got the crowd into it and, you know, was able to be remarkably efficient from, 
the field in both halves, 14 of 27 in the second half, 15 of 27 in the first. And it just, you know, Wake Forest got away from their identity in the second half. There's really no way around that. And that is why they lost the game. I think anyone in the program would tell you that. I know Andrew Carr was obviously frustrated after the game. He talked about sort of some similarities between the second half of this game and the Florida State game. And so, you know, two really difficult road losses for Wake Forest in the last three games. I think they certainly, you know, you get a chance to bounce back at home against Louisville this coming weekend. But I think, you know, some some soul searching to be done a little bit about, you know, why has this happened on two separate occasions so far? Why have we been unable to get the job done in two winnable spots on the road early on in conference play? And, you know, I, I trust Steve Forbes and this coaching staff to make the adjustments that they need to, to do. But like you said, I think the foul trouble problem needs to be addressed. It seems like in a lot of games, Efton Reed, Hunter Salas, Cam Hildreth, you know, any of the any of those five guys that are getting the lion's share of the minutes and all that production find themselves in foul trouble a lot. That is tough to navigate, you know, especially on the road. And, you know, NC State provides a tough matchup inside with obviously DJ Burns, Ben Middlebrooks got going late in the game. He had some really big buckets against Wake Forest. They kind of struggled to defend him late. His a bucket from him was sort of the catalyst for that exchange that resulted in that, you know, that batch of technical fouls there at the end that resulted in Hunter Salas' ejection. So, you know, it's a, you know, it, this is no doubt a gut punch of a loss, and I'm sure the program feels it. But, you know, we keep coming back to it. You know, wait, they've only played six games in conference. There's 14 left. You can't hang your head for too long after this one. Got to sort of just go back to the drawing board, figure it out, focus on the things you did well, and, you know, bounce back to to face a very, very beatable Louisville team. Agreed. Before we move on, I just want to, I had I had forgotten one of the points that that Connor had brought up and and now it's coming back to me. So Connor O'Neill put out this really interesting stat and we talked about the the Efton Reed foul trouble. So Wake Forest was plus nine when Efton Reed was on the court Tuesday night against NC State, and not I I don't think this can tell you the whole story. So I don't want to overemphasize it. But so plus nine for Efton when Matthew Marsh was on the court Wake Forest was minus 14 when Hunter Salas was out on the court. Wake Forest was minus 15. So Efton losing Efton, I think is a sign of where things can start to go wrong for Wake Forest. His presence is so important on the defensive end, clearly, but I think also on the offensive end, it, it that's when, when, when Efton had to sit with foul trouble and when he fouled out, it seemed like that's where the, the Wake Forest offense really started to struggle and it, it's struggled all throughout the second half, but having an Efton Reed that is kind of playing with one arm tied behind his back because of foul trouble throughout the game, it shows how important he is to the Wake Forest offense because it changes everything. And so it, it's becoming, you know, Efton is having issues with fouls. Some of them just at the end of the day can't really happen. And so there's obviously a ton of time to change that. But seeing with the kind of the eye test, but also the statistical test a little bit, just how much Efton means to the team can't, can't have him sitting like that. And I think it just really hurt Wake Forest on Tuesday. Yeah. I mean, I think one stat that indicates just how big of an impact Efton Reed has and how much it hurts them when he's not out there. North Carolina state scored 50 points in the paint during that game in one basketball game. They scored 50 points in the paint. 
that's unbelievable. <laughs> they put up 83 points in regulation without making a single three-pointer. That is an anomaly, you know, an outlier in the scape in the you know the landscape of modern college basketball. So yeah, I mean, Efton Reed is that enforcer. He's that rim protector. He is proving himself that he needs to be out on the floor in the big moments for this team and being able to play, like you said, not with one arm behind his back, but playing his full physical brand of basketball and finding a way to defend without fouling. So that early on for Efton Reed, you know, the refing was questionable. There's no really doubt about that. I think you mentioned this on Twitter. I think both teams have legitimate grievances to file to the league office after that game. But the bottom line is, you know, Efton Reed needs to be out there in the big moments for this team. And it, it just, it, it really hurts. You know, the, the, the metrics don't lie that it just really hurts this team when he's not out there. You know, he, there's a reason that the team is, you know, has been so much, has been so successful since he has joined is he is just a presence. I think that's the best word to describe it. His presence out there just demands attention. The rim protection is like he challenges shots in a way that, you know, few other guys on the team can his, his, you know, and especially down the stretch when state had, you know, so much success in the paint and, you know, from the, from their big guys that have given Wake Forest so much trouble over the past couple of years, it's just, it's just tough when you're playing, not, you know, with a full deck of cards. Last point on Afton. It's just, I, I said it before, but I can't emphasize it enough. It's just the fouls. It's got it. Like the fouls are a huge concern for me. And it's not just this game. It's been happening kind of consistently. Efton is just such an impactful player. You got to have him on the court. And that means you can't have him sitting because of fouls. And, and I think that's just a pretty cut and dry story. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks. Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You mentioned the referees. The last point on NC State. So it was Jeffrey and Jeffrey Anderson's eighth game in a row, like night to night to night. It was his eighth night in a row refereeing, refereeing a game. The total fouls called last or Tuesday night. We're recording this Wednesday night, so I may refer to it as last night. 50 total fouls at PNC Arena Tuesday night. 26 for Wake Forest, 24 for NC State. As I've said on Twitter, I think both teams have grievances that they can send into the ACC office and none more interesting thought provoking and been put under a magnifying glass than that end of game situation. So it was with 40 seconds left in the second half. I'll pull up the kind of the, how it all went down. So it was 46 seconds. NC State led by uh, 75-72, led by three. You get that that Ben Middlebrooks layup with the foul, and then all hell kind of breaks loose. Middlebrooks gives Hunter Salas a bump. They kind of break away, and then Mo Diara comes in, and, and he and Hunter Salas connect heads. How that all goes down is kind of your – how – different sides might interpret it, 
Wake Forest folks will probably say that Modiara headbutted Hunter Salas. NC State folks will probably say that it was mutual contact. Regardless, Ben Middlebrooks got a tech. Modiara got a tech. That's two techs for NC State. And Hunter Salas, to even it all out, got double-teched, ejected. Um, and Josh Graham talked about this on his show. And it was a really good, I think, breakdown of, of how this happened. And he said it on Twitter, you know, the night of the game, but broke it down on his on his show today, said that it, it kind of seemed like they almost were looking for a way to even up that play. That be, because NC State, there was two pretty clear texts, you know, Ben Middlebrooks for the bump and then Mo Diara for connecting heads with Hunter Salas. And then you have the one tech for Hunter Salas where he's kind of reacting all this has that thing with Middlebrooks. And then like, that's kind of the one tech. And it's almost like they gave that second tech to Hunter Salas when it seems like if you look at it a certain way that he probably was getting head butted and it wasn't a mutual contact between Diara and Salas. And so the way that, that Josh broke this down is that, so Wake Forest is, is trailing by three. And in reality, if it had just been a one tech on Wake and the two techs on NC State, regardless of whether Ben Middlebrooks makes that and one foul shot or not, which he did, but if Middlebrooks makes that shot, NC State up by four, Wake Forest has the one lesser tech, so they get two shots and the ball. You make both those shots, Wake Forest has the ball down two with 46 seconds left on the clock, an opportunity to tie the game. They're within a possession. And so you, because of how you treated, the referees treated those technical fouls, they kind of took the, they, they iced the game. You know, it was even Steven, NC stayed up by four with the ball as opposed to Wake Forest with the ball with a chance to tie the game up. And so, you know, it's hard to tell. You can look at it from a bunch of different ways. The Wake Forest folks will say that that was probably the incorrect call, that Hunter Salas probably should have just received one tech. Maybe even all those techs, like maybe just one total tech should have been thrown out. Maybe Ben Middlebrooks shouldn't have gotten a tech. Maybe Hunter Salas shouldn't have gotten a tech. And maybe it was just Mo Diara who gets one for initiating that head contact. But Really just questionable refereeing, I think, throughout the game. And I think they kind of lost control of the game. And and you saw it at the end with the 46 seconds left. You can look at it different ways, but some folks will look at it like Wake Forest probably deserved to take two foul shots and, and the game's still playing then. But instead, because of a decision by the referees, that game with 46 seconds left was over. That game was done. And this is from a purely neutral point of view. Like, I just don't think it was called well for either side. I think NC State took a brunt of it in the first half. I think they, and there were some bad calls. There were some really bad calls on NC State. Like, there was a a a bump foul called on NC State where a Wake Forest player was the one who bumped into their own teammate, and they called it on NC State. Like, clear as clear as day on the television on replay that that foul should not have been called on NC state. There's several more where NC state got the wrong side of the calls. Then wake forest gets the wrong side of a few calls. And then the whole train wreck with technicals at the 46 second mark 
the referees inserted themselves into the game and made it so that there was how those two teams played in the final 46 seconds did not matter. They influenced the result of the game one way or another. And I don't think it was just those 46 seconds. I think the referees inserted themselves into the game so much that it affected a lot of the game. Throwing out Kevin Keats may be worth it. I mean, he he kind of asked for the second technical. So, But the referees inserted themselves into that basketball game. And I think for that, it was a disservice to both teams because both of them got the brunt ends of it. Yeah, I mean, I'll just sort of start start with the the general refereeing, and then I'll move into the my sort of my viewpoint on the end of that game. So, you know, like you said, what was it, fifty fouls called in the college basketball game? I'm not sure that that should ever be the case. I mean, like that is that is truly unbelievable work, and it, I, I think it's really interesting, you know, to break down. Like you said, I agree. I think there were bad calls against both teams, and I think that both teams sort of got the short end of the stick at different points of the game. NC State's scoring breakdown was 50 points in the paint and then 25 points from the foul line out of their 83 points. So they were just living off of off of the referees sort of just making those calls and sending them to the line, especially late in the game. And I think the, the problem, I like that you said it was a disservice to both teams because I think that is the problem with poorly refereed games, which I think this was. I think it was a poorly refereed game at a lot of different spurts. The refs gave out six technical fouls. I'm not sure I've ever seen that in a college basketball game before. But the problem with poorly refereed games like that is that it sometimes just depends on, you know, which team gets the bad call at the wrong time to sort of put the nail in the coffin for the game. And I think personally that it probably happened to be Wake Forest at the end of that game. Now, this doesn't mean... Wake Forest, to be honest with you, should have never put themselves in that position to begin with to where the refs could have inserted that game and then decided it for them. It was their play in the second half that resulted in them being down three in that moment and sort of the emotions and all everything that went in there. But at the same time, you know, Wake's supposed to go down three and get the ball back and, you know, have a chance to, you know, down three with 46 seconds to go is kind of an eternity at the end of a college basketball game. But instead, like you said, you know, the refs took forever to deliberate what went on. It took them a long time to figure out sort of exactly what happened. The replay's unclear. I think the refs had lost control of the game long before that, just like you said. And then they ended up making the call that gives NC State another, you know, another point and sort of puts the nail in the coffin, like I said, for Wake Forest. So that's the, that, that's the problem with poorly refereed games is that it sort of sullies the outcome of, you know, from a, a a general, you know, bystander perspective was a great college basketball game. It was a competitive game between two teams who, you know, clearly belong in the top tier of the conference. I thought at least it's a hard fought game till the end, but it was just, you know, the flow of the game was disrupted. The outcome maybe gets called into question. I, you know, I don't, again, I'm not sure. I personally don't know if Wake Forest wins that game, even if the call goes the other way, or even if they do get that technical foul shot. It's you know it's up in the air, but it's 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 you know it's bad for both teams. It's bad for the league when on a national scene, you know, a, a game is is seen being decided, you know, and there, there's sort of all those theatrics going on late in the game, and a game is seen playing out that way in the final moments. You know, there's already enough national disrespect going on for the ACC and the media. You know, recent bracketology had them as a two bid league 
which like is just not the ACC of old. So, you know, I, it's just it's just not great. It's just not great for for anyone involved when a game plays out that way. And you know, like I said, Wake Forest definitely should not have been in the position where the refs could step in and call those texts and have that play as big a role in the game as it did. But it was just a really a tough way to watch that game end. I agree with you. So I, because I, I do want to make that stipulation before we move on. I, I'm a hundred percent behind the fact that Wake Forest should have never been in that situation to begin with. And Steve Forbes made that clear as well, that he didn't necessarily agree what happened with at the end of the game, but it wasn't the refs that really killed that game. It was Wake Forest shooting itself and it themselves in the foot. Like the team at the end of the day, Wake Forest lost that game because Wake Forest did not play well in the second half. And that's kind of the story. And the refs are, are a side part of it that was just a clown car uh, of a performance. Moving on, I I saw a lot from the Wake Forest fan base after the game, and I think rightly so some of it. I mean, that game, you said it, Ben, was a gut punch. I mean, it was – if you look at it, if you try and put yourself in the, the, the shoes of the fans, a sickening way to lose, especially the ones who have been around Wake for a long time and some of it's – not so great history when it comes to, you know, the dark times in in basketball and just dark times elsewhere as well. Um, And so I understand why people were so frustrated by that loss and felt really hurt by that loss. And Steve Forbes did too. He said that his team let down the fans in that game. They let down the fans losing that big four game away that they should have had. But Those who are using that NC State loss to completely write off the season, that's not the case just yet. Wake Forest is 4-2 and in the ACC. It's basically a wash in the metrics. Wake Forest is number 39 right now in Ken Palm. In net, they're holding serve as well. I think right, you know, they're they're doing just fine in net. And so that it doesn't, that loss doesn't kill Wake Forest. But what it does show is just how much more they need to do. Like they, you know, the season is still on the table for Wake Forest. They're now number forty-six in net, so they're currently inside the the NCAA tournament cutoff per net. But it's a big stretch coming up. You got Louisville at home on Saturday. Two days later, you go to North Carolina. You have Pittsburgh away and Syracuse at home. Those are four very, very, very big games for the remaining complexion on Wake Forest season and if they can finally get back to the NCAA tournament. And I don't want to attach a number to it, but at a certain point, Wake Forest has got to start getting away wins and they've got to start just getting you stacking wins in general. You're going to probably need 14 wins in the ACC to feel comfortable about the NCAA tournament. And also at the end of the day, as Steve Forbes said, you just got to win the right games. And so that right game might be getting an away win at North Carolina or at Duke. Wake might need that. It may not, if they don't get one or the other, they may still get into the NCAA tournament. I don't want to go too much down into the future, but it's going to start coming down to Wake Forest winning the right games. And at the end of the day, it starts with Louisville on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, I I truly think you know we'll, I'll I'll move into Louisville here in a second. I truly think it's as simple as Wake Forest has to find a way to win some games on the road. I mean, they've been fantastic at home all year long. You got to figure out how to close games on the road. You just have to. 
and it's going to be very tough to get a win at either North Carolina or Duke, you know, two top 10 teams in the country right there. But for the road schedule, the rest of the way, you just have to find a way to win some of those games. I mean, you're not, I don't think you make the tournament without it. I don't think, I don't think there's a way into the NCAA tournament for Wake Forest, you know, without finding a way to find success away from home. That's the end of it. Um, you know, moving into moving into this Louisville team, I think a good bounce back spot for Wake Forest. I'll give some credit to Louisville. I think they are playing a lot better basketball now than if they were at the beginning of the season a couple games ago. I think they're playing North Carolina as we record this, if I'm not wrong. They are. And and you know, they just they lost to um they lost to NC State in their last game up. But before that, they beat the Miami Hurricanes on the road, which is the broadcast told me the first road win for that program in two years. So, you know, a big stepping stone there for um, for that Louisville program that has just really struggled. Some keys to their victory in that game, and I think some stuff for Wake Forest to wake out, watch out for is that Mike James, their lead guard, had a fantastic performance, 8 of 12 from the field, 5 of 6 from 3, 26 points, um, had 16 of the first 18 points for Louisville, sort of went nuclear. Um, you know, I, obviously that's a tough performance to repeat game in and game out, but certainly a guy for Wake Forest to be aware of there. And this Louisville team does have five players that average in double figures, 10 points or more. So, you know, they can spread the scoring around a little bit. You know, they, they, they shot the ball really well from three against uh, Miami, 10 of 23 from the field, just under 44%. That's solid. They went 14 of 16 from the foul line and shot nearly 50% from the field. So, you know, they have shown in spurts, the ability to produce on offense. They are a, really bad by all rankings defensive team. They are bottom tier in the conference, bottom three in most, you know, defensive categories where I think they really struggled against Miami is out in transition. Miami plays really fast. Miami was able to get a lot of easy buckets and stay in that game. Um, you know, breakaway dunks when guys on Louisville, just not getting back. Um, you know, so I think that is an area where wake force is going to be able to exploit this Louisville team is getting out in transition Wake likes to play fast. You got to play fast and under control. You know, we've seen the, the consequences of failing to do that in some of the recent games, but I think there will be opportunities there for, for Wake to get out and run, play fast, score in transition, let the let the guards do what they do best. Let Hunter Salas, Cam Hildreth, Boopy Miller get to the rack, get fouled, go to the foul line. Wake's an outstanding free throw shooting team. And, you know, this is a game where I think Wake is just the better team. I don't really think there's much debate about that. You just have to go take care of business. Absolutely. It's a get right game. And Louisville's a good team to have a get right game against. I mean, you said it, the defense is really, really bad. 235th adjusted efficiency in the nation. The offense isn't very good either, but that defense is really, really not good. Um, and, and you kind of, you know, mentioned the keys for, for Wake Forest there, Ben. And I think for me, it's just playing clean basketball like limiting the fouls. It's all these things that I've talked about. And you, if you listen to the podcast regularly, it feels like you've heard me talk about them all the time. It's limit the fouls and protect the ball. You can't be averaging 16, 17, nearly 20 turnovers in these conference games. And you can't have guys like Efton Reed getting into foul trouble and sitting Hunter Salison sitting guys fouling out, sending teams to the line a lot. And so for me, it's, you said it, Ben, Wake Forest is a much better basketball team than Louisville. And so if they get back to the basics, get back to what works for them, get back to the the, the offense that they run, 
and, and get the ball moving, especially. I talked about that a lot. Steve Forbes harps on that a lot. Moving the ball, really getting it around the, the perimeter, getting it in a bunch of different players' hands. Run your offense. Discipline defense, which Wake Forest has started to get better at, and protect the basketball. The turnovers have got to, at a certain point, the trend's got to stop, or else Wake Forest is going to be in a lot, have a lot bigger issues than just beating Louisville on Saturday. But a get right opportunity for Wake Forest Saturday, Danny Manning returning to the Joel. That game will be at 12 o'clock, I believe, on ESPNU. We'll have a comprehensive preview of that over on bloggersodeer.com going into the game. And then that'll all lead into a very, very big game as we've talked about the complexion of Wake Forest season. A big one for the complexion of Wake Forest season, traveling away to North Carolina in Chapel Hill on Monday night. We'll have an exciting episode on that. But first it's Louisville, then North Carolina, and we'll get you ready to go with both of those on the Boots on the Ground pod. Alongside Ben Conroy, I've been Essex there, and see you all soon. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.